Welcome back to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Fast Five. It is April 16th, 2020, and I think we're in like day, God, I have no idea in reality, but day, it feels like day forever on this coronavirus thing. And of course, for those listening at home or those that happen to be with us live, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm here as always, of course, with Anne. Hey, how's everybody doing? Oh, pretty good. And Carter, Carter, how you keeping? Oh, we're hanging in there. You know, the, the compliment you gave was that my Zoom profile picture, which I think will pop up here right now, uh, I looked 10 years younger than I do currently. And the, the photo was only taken six months ago. So I feel like just like a little old, a little dry in the face, but I'm doing good. It's good. It's good. It's good. You're not, you're not getting outside enough, huh? You're not getting I outside enough. Right. I got, well, I got I to gotta one up that with my own virtual background here just to start for all the fans out there. But, but Emma's here too. Emma, the intern live from Jersey. We had some technical difficulties last week. We think we've got those squared away. Emma, how you doing? Uh, it's going. It's going. It's going. <laughs> what's the what's the what's the latest out there in the East Coast? Um, still, pretty much people aren't leaving their houses. New York just required that we wear masks in public. However, the weather has been beautiful, so I can't complain with that. That is good. That's good. Yeah. It's pretty wild. It's pretty pretty interesting to watch everything that's developing out there. Well, hey, again, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, we think we've got a great show. We're trying something new. We're trying OmniTalk Live, and this is a good practice for us. If we can get this right and field your questions as we go along, we're hopefully going to use this platform uh, in future weeks as we start to try to bring you new live webinar-like content uh, during this time of coronavirus. So before we get started, none of this would, of course, be possible without our sponsors. And our sponsors are Trigo. Trigo is developing the most advanced AI and computer vision-based checkout system for the grocery industry. Using standard cameras and proprietary algorithms, Trigo converts real-size stores, introducing a frictionless shopping experience. Together with Tesco, Trigo is currently piloting the world's largest checkout-free store. To learn more, visit www.trigo.tech. And of course, Insignia. Insignia is a leader in in-store and mobile marketing. Forward-looking and nimble, Insignia pushes the boundaries for others to follow. With a suite of tactics, including signage, merchandising, display, and mobile, Insignia is the right partner to attract new shoppers and to grow your business. Insignia, be discovered. And Insignia actually just finished their pitch slam competition, and Ann and I will be interviewing that winner uh, next week. So stay tuned for that podcast. And we've got, like I said, some great headlines today. We've got good stories from Walmart, Amazon, stories coming out of the fast food industry, autonomous vehicles. We're even going to touch on Best Buy. So we got the full range covered. But guys, I got to ask, what was the biggest takeaway this week? What was the biggest surprise in each of your lives? And let's start with you. Um, I, I don't know. Today, This week was kind of, it's kind of thrown me for a loop, to be honest. I would say... <laughs> One is how crazy and like amorphous your head is right now. It just keeps like wiggling back and forth as you change the backgrounds. But um, it was my son's third birthday on Tuesday. So that was kind of a crazy experience setting up a social distant birthday party for him. Uh, Grandparents coming over in like masks and leaving presents and then like him opening them across the garage. And that was so it's kind of just this weird like. I guess this is normal now. So that's not happy. 
Did you did you zoom it too? Did you didn't you do like a virtual uh, birthday song at like we 6 did? PM or it was a total disaster. Go? We did oh, like really? a virtual. We did we tried to do virtual, you know, but we've got grandparents and uh, aunts and uncles and people that <coughs> you know. There's a lot of complications that you're bringing in to try to make that happen, and the kid just wanted to like put that whipped cream cake in his face, so he really could care less. <laughs> It was more about it was more for the adults than it was for him. So yeah, that's right. Well, he but is crazy. three. He is three. What about you, Carter? What's what's this week been like on your side of the of your side of the pond or three houses well, down from where Anne lives? Yeah, three houses down from Anne. You know, I'm really enjoying going and trying out every one of these curbside pickup experiences. And we're actually gonna talk about this in story number five today, so I won't like break down anything too much. And I didn't get to check to do that one specifically. But if you remember last week, I had some critical feedback for a restaurant that was in our area and and said with the most amount of love, but there were a couple other local, well, the liquor store actually went incredibly well. It was a seamless experience using really basic technology. And I just think it's been really interesting to go and try those things out um, across town here. So it's been fascinating to see how certain businesses are trying to figure out what does curbside look like um, based on the technology they have at their fingertips. So um, I guess that's been my nerd hobby of the week. Maybe that's a bit too, uh, I'm sucking up to you guys a little too much as I'm trying to research for the fast five. No, dude, that's awesome. Like I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath on that story. Already. I can't <laughs> yeah, wait to right. hear about this. I want to, I want to retail geek out on this. All right. Well, Emma, we got, we got the update from Jersey already. I think we should get to the headlines, you guys. And why don't you kick us off? And for those listening again, joining us live, uh, be sure to drop us a question as we go along and we'll try and steal them as we go. And we talk about today's headlines, but Anne, why don't you start us off? All right. Well, story number one is uh, coming from Walmart. We have a couple of stories from Walmart here. Uh, The first being that the retail giant Walmart has announced that they will reserve the hour of 7 to 8 a.m. for order pickup at select pickup store locations um, for customers over the age of 60, first responders, and anyone designated high risk by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So, First thing, a lot of, lot of companies out there doing that, um, but good for Walmart, good approach to take. The second one is the really brilliant one, and it's kind of coming off of our story last week. And that is that Walmart has um, kicked up their program that enables customers to select groceries for pickup via the, e- the Walmart e-commerce app um, or the Walmart grocery mobile app. So now customers that use SNAP benefits are able to use their EBT card. So just to explain this further, just so there's no confusion. So um, EBT is the is a debit card basically that now all SNAP benefits are on. So that's how you use it. So now you're able to go to Walmart and um, you can order online, order on the app. You can do contactless pickup so it's, a, it's not completely allowing people to do the delivery option. Um, that's only still piloting in a couple of states, but it is uh, definitely letting people, um, especially those who are using SNAP benefits, majority of them who are uh, at high risk in the high risk population category for uh, the pandemic, uh, they are able to now do pickup at any Walmart location, which is really amazing. Yeah, it's super cool. I, I think we got to get some inside baseball on this one, too. So this, this is kind of a fun story this week. And I worked on this a lot. Um, so I don't know if you guys saw this. I put it out on social media. But so I wrote an article about last week about how uh, how Walmart was kind of setting the pace or setting the example for the grocery industry to follow. And the damn thing went viral. I think it has I think as of today, it's got about one point eight million views. 
which is pretty ridiculous for something that OmniTalk produces on, on a weekly basis. But we've got quite a lot of comments, quite a lot of feedback, uh, and we can go into that specifically too, which I think, I think it is important to, to talk about what's really happening at the ground level. But what it did is it inspired me hearing all this feedback from different people about what they were seeing at the stores and still just relatively speaking, how some things still need to improve, especially on the employee side for Walmart. It got us thinking about just, you know, just in general, uh, what we've known about Snap, what we talked about last week. And so I started preparing an article, which is now out on Forbes today, saying like Walmart needs to continue to do more. And one of those is try to really push uh, for legislation to be driven home so that people can use their SNAP benefits online so that they don't have to go to stores. And in the process of doing all of that, it was funny. I was talking to Walmart and I was asking them a bunch of questions. And then, whoop, lo and behold, the day I go to publish, Walmart's out there with this story. So it's kind of fun to see some of the change that we've been able to, to drive and some of the conversation we've been been able to have around around this topic. So pretty cool. Uh, Carter, Emma, any takes on uh, any takes on this one from you guys? You know, I think, you know, for the first little bit, obviously the snap uh, portion of this is the, is the big deal of this story. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it goes back to a couple of things we talked about last week. You see retailers, no matter the size, whatever they might be doing, whether it's specific times or the plexiglass, or whatever that might be, um, putting these small things in place to make customers feel more safe, more comfortable. And that's going to be the differentiator, whether you go to that store or the store that's a mile and a half away, maybe even closer to your home. So we're going to continue to see this. We're going to continue to see it be not only a functional, but a PR thing as as well, opening to first responders, opening to the, you know, really at risk type population is a no brainer. I think we should be seeing it for almost all retailers. And I think you'll starting to see, you'll start to see more innovation around that kind of accessibility play um, as we continue to get into more permanent state uh, that we find ourselves in. Yeah, I think the big thing here too with that, with the, with uh, in and around these stories that we heard from the feedback was really around compliance too, that all these tactics, the hours are good the metering of traffic in his stores, all those kinds of things, plexiglass barriers, gloves, face masks, all that stuff is great. And it's great to talk about, but at the end of the day, we need to make sure that everyone's doing it and everyone's following the guidelines, both on the customer side and the employee side. And if we see instances where it's not happening, we need to make sure that that information is getting back up to every retailer, but especially to Walmart on the scale and size that they are. All right, Carter, you want to hit up store number two? Yeah, for sure. So story number two. So Amazon is starting to use specific stores and the story is around their Woodland Hills uh, location in California, which is scheduled originally to open in February, but they're using these supermarkets as dark stores to fill online grocery orders. So um, according both the Grocery Dive and then Hungry.tv, which is actually this really cool uh, medium.com based uh, reporting site, um, Amazon is using these locations to fulfill Whole Foods orders that are happening online that those specific stores cannot fulfill necessarily. So uh, the story uh, includes some really interesting pictures of the closed down supermarket, but in the back, there's an entrance with different signs for Amazon flex drivers to park and pick up these orders. So it's kind of this eerie looking uh, experience with this closed down supermarket that was supposed to be open to the public. That's really just uh, shipping products out the back door, which is really interesting. Um, this necessarily, this isn't the only store that's doing kind of this dark mode. Uh, the company strategy extends to the Whole Foods in Bryant Park in Manhattan, obviously, which was temporarily closed to fill delivery and pickup orders. So uh, 
for me, I think this is amazing. And, and you guys remember, I think it was last week or the week before we were talking about how specific locations, was it Kroger, were yep. closing down to only fulfill curbside orders. And as you guys remember, I was a huge fan of this because what you do is you take the risk, you take the logistics, customers get in the way, they're slow, they have preferences that really kind of put people in danger and really just kind of take away the efficiency of everything. And I think this is amazing. I think what you're going to see is not only this trend continue during this insane need that we find ourselves in. And a reminder, Amazon's not even taking new customer orders. Like it is so hard for current customer grocery orders to get a time slot right now, including our family specific, like our family is also having a hard time finding grocery times uh, to get delivery that, you know, you're going to see them trying to figure out how do we leverage things that are in our supply chain and how do we build for this type of uh, demand. And I think you're going to start to see more dark stores as people don't necessarily need a whole beautiful storefront uh, to go and do grocery, you know, an experience. They want delivery and they want curbside pickup. And however, Amazon's able to make that happen in the most efficient possible way, they're going to do it. Yeah. And what do you think? Well, I think it's particularly interesting given what we know about how this store was supposed to be opening and how things were going um, with the opening of this grocery store. Um, whether or not it was actually going to open in February or not. So I think this is a, this is a huge like blessing in disguise for that Amazon store. And you know what? Let's be honest. Like there, every store, every grocery store should be going to this model anyway. And if they aren't right now, they will be soon. And we keep hearing it every single day. We're hearing about more and more. I mean, I think there was like four or five headlines just in the last couple of days of, grocery store employees getting sick and coming down with cases. Um, I spoke to a couple of people in the industry who said that, yeah, this is happening. Like every single day, the stores are getting reports of people who are coming down with COVID-19. They're going through the cleaning, um, like all the like completely clean up, clear up of the store. But, um, but you know, ultimately people are, it's, it's happening again the next day. People are getting reinfected. The more people that are going in the stores, the more problems that this brings. So um, I, I, after talking to a couple people again in the industry, you, you hear that the excuse from the grocers is that it's potential lost revenue. But I think that a lot more people, as we get deeper into this, are going to be more concerned about the, what's the safest place for me to be shopping? What's the most convenient place for me to be shopping? And who's taking care of their staff and employees to keep the store open? And I think that this is going to just be the, the next the next wave um, that we see across grocery stores and then I think other stores, other retailers to follow too. Yeah, it's a great point. We actually got a question from Ashley. At what point do we think we'll start to see other retailers go to a curbside option? I think you're going to start to see it pretty overtly here over the next few weeks. My gut tells me too, just based on some inside information too, that I think, uh, I think we're going to see probably a, a large media outlet put out a piece about, you know, should we even not be going to stores at all at this point? Like, is that the safest option is to try to bat- bypass them all together? So I think what retailers have the density and they can do something like what, Ann you're talking about and Carter, you're talking about, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think there's a couple other interesting angles on this story though, too, uh, specifically with regards to Amazon. Like, I think it's really easy to talk about how coronavirus is going to accelerate digital commerce, right? 100%. We've already seen it. We've seen it in grocery. We've seen it everywhere. Who benefits from that? Well, of course, Amazon does, right? They're the incumbent. They're the big player in the space. But I think the subtle point to what you're saying, Anne, is that the other thing that the, the other aspect of retail that this benefits is it, bez- it benefits physical retailing from the perspective of Amazon. And it does that in two fronts. Like, Number one, it gives them the time 
to take a break with this store, work out fulfillment for that local market. The other thing that when this is all said and done and over, we talked about this, I think a couple of weeks ago when Emma was like, yeah, I would definitely go into a checkout free Amazon go like store. It makes the need for that whole thing that much better. So when this is all, you know, as this gets through it a little bit more, as we get through this a little bit more, Amazon's physical presence is going to be much more powerful than it was in the past, saving for, and it's going to happen more quickly than it would have saved, you know, three, four, five weeks ago. The scary thing about this article to me too, that I read was that they're actually now thinking, it's reported that they're now thinking about doing scheduled times where people can actually come into this store and shop. Now think about what this store is. It's Amazon's first grocery store. So now what that means is they can actually use technology to schedule times for people to come into that store. And what is that? Well, basically it's a side-by-side user acceptance test of every single person in that store, meter and controlled for them to understand what works, what doesn't, what's nice about the merchandising, what's not. All of that, again, going back to my point, it gives them a leg up here because they're at such experimental stages of what they're trying to do with physical retailing that they can do a lot that some of the incumbents aren't going to be able to do. Carter, I see you shaking your head. What, what's your take on all that? You go back to the first story about Walmart and you know the first hour, but imagine a grocery store where you actually have to pick a time that you're going to show up. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, yeah, that might be a little bit of an inconvenience, but those time slots are just like delivery options. And you know that the grocery store is not going to be packed. You're not going to have an issue being within six feet of each other. You know that the traffic's regulated. So if you really want to go and touch the fruit and do all that, which seems odd for me at this point in time, but that's something that you really want to do and you feel comfortable with. Imagine an Amazon technology that would allow you, you know, it's simple. It's like taking a reservation at a restaurant, but they're only going to allow 60 people in the store and you can preset that time and you're, you know, scan in. And, you know, only works during that time period. And, you know, I think the potential there is just endless. Yeah. And Carter, if that didn't get you excited, this picture of me next to Falcor from NeverEnding Story sure will. All right, Emma, why don't you take us to story number three? Yeah, story number three. McDonald's in Australia and Subway in the U.S. are joining the fast casual grocery trend. As you've probably already heard, Panera's began selling groceries, staples about a week ago, and now Australian McDonald's and U.S.-based Subways have followed suit, all with grocery items available for either contactless pickup or delivery. McDonald's grocery offerings include full cream and skim milk, English muffins, and gourmet bread rolls. And then from Subway, you can get fresh bread, sliced deli meats and cheeses, bagged fruits and vegetables, and cookies and chips. And so when I first heard this story, my initial response was kind of like, who is going to really order groceries from these places? But I got word from a friend in Minneapolis that our Target closest to our apartment has no fruits or vegetables other than baby carrots. And I was like, well, maybe I'm going to have to buy groceries from Panera or Subway. Right. And they've got it. I mean, it's not like that. It sounds like there's an overabundance of food supply and food packaging in a certain way in certain parts of the supply chain, namely in, you know, convenience and fast casual restaurants. And you've been all over this story since this broke. I mean, I heard you talking about it today. What, what captivates you with this story? I just think it's really smart. I think that it gives the national QSRs an opportunity to compete against where people are spending a lot of their money in the local markets right now. People are supporting their local restaurants over a McDonald's or a Subway, um, even though those people are still 
you know, working and living in your neighborhood, but um, they're going to use convenience as that lever. And I think it's brilliant. Uh, I think we're not going to see that change after this pandemic is over. I think there's going to be a definite use case to leverage your current supply chain to allow people to pick up milk, pick up eggs, or, you know, in Subway's case, pick up some sandwich meat and a sandwich at the same exact time uh, and be able to check something else off their list. So I think it's smart. I love it. The efficiency play there is is what I immediately go to to Anne's point. Like Carter, I was going to ask you actually. Like I like the subway is a great visual. I think as you're thinking about this story too, just because of like how a subway is laid out. Yeah. Like, would you go buy your deli meats and cheese from a subway? Like, like Carter, what? Yes, no. I, like, I don't. I don't think you know. In a normal world, that would be a thing that you would think of. But I think right now as a consumer, like you're trying to minimize your stops, like you're trying to be as efficient as possible. The idea of driving around on a Saturday afternoon, just, you know, randomly stopping by whatever your heart desires is no longer, you're very purposely planning your your stops. And so I think that, you know, adding value to that stop. So it's not just one sandwich. It's not just, you know, the sandwich and maybe one for lunch, you're going to be able to get, you know, maybe food for lunches for the week. And that's going to be good to go. You don't necessarily need to go anywhere else. I think it's just adding incentive for people to actually come in the store. Cause I think right now just for a lunch sandwich, like people aren't going to choose to do that because I think the perceived risk is too high. Yeah. It's, I think it's also like a stock gap too, in some senses. I mean, I think I was talking about that this, this morning with somebody, but I think the really hard part right now, and you talked about, you know, workers at grocery stores getting sick. We've seen the instances in South Dakota where the meat packers are getting sick. There's so much, and then all this move towards digital and online shopping or even order pickup, as Carter, you were talking about, but then also not being able to get a delivery window. There's so much new behavior in the supply chain right now that retailers especially, or anyone that has, that's working in there, it's really hard to understand and forecast where the demand and where the inventory should be. And so that's also a, a tricky thing to think about, I think, as we start to reopen the country too, because the more we whipsaw back and forth and change how we're doing everything, the harder it is for us to get into a habitual way of shopping for all the things that we need to eat. You know, before it was simple. Everybody just went to the grocery store. That's what we did. But if we still can't do that, and then we just continue to create more and more options, all of the forecasting and accounting for the demand of the inventory still becomes really complicated. I think that's why you had Walmart CEO Doug McMillan on the Today Show last week on Friday saying, look, everyone just buy week to week so we can start to figure out exactly what the demand needs are based on what you really actually need, not hoarding, but what you really actually need and based on how you most likely want to buy it. I think it's an important consideration that that really we're not talking about enough within the context of like how we're going to open things up. It's also why the pickup only stores are so important because that's the only way you can interact with those stores and that keeps a tighter control on the inventory. And I can see you thinking about that one. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think that this is, and to your earlier question of, would you buy the meat from Subway? I mean, I, I think that depends on who you're talking about. You I know, would. Maybe, yeah, I, I think so. 100%. I think this also brings other questions into play. Like we were talking about the SNAP and EBT benefits again before. Like if they're going to be able to take it, if you can go there, you know, you can't buy prepared foods with those SNAP benefits. But if I can go into the one place, get my kids dinner, get that, like those right. things on my list, like that's huge. Um, so yeah, I, I, this is one of my favorite stories of the week for sure. Yeah, that's a whole nother, that's a great point too. Like that, that's why I love doing the show. Like that's a whole nother angle too. Like where can you use SNAP benefits and for what, especially in the time, you know, that we're in. 
uh, with coronavirus as well. All right, let's keep it moving. So the next story is mine. And the next story is really cool too. It kind of goes along the lines we were just talking about, but Neuro, the autonomous uh, car company essentially, got the okay to test driverless delivery in California. Uh, so it's been given the given the opportunity to put two of its low speed, and this is according to TechCrunch, low speed electric R2 delivery vehicles on the public roads of Santa Clara and San Mateo counties. Now they can't go over 25 miles an hour. That's the maximum speed limit. And they can only operate in fair weather conditions on streets that have a speed limit of no more than 35 miles per hour. So other than not wanting to get behind one of these, Carter, what do you think here? I think it's great. I mean, you're seeing the situation where we're in accelerate innovation, accelerate kind of the curiosity about what could be possible with technology like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you start in you know, this entire last three stories was about demand and how to figure that out and delivery windows and dark stores. And like, you look at the thing about the last mile, like that's kind of the last thing we need to be solving for. That's the most dangerous part if we can figure out a lot of this. Um, and I think, you know, delivery vehicles have been on the little bit of the edge for the last two years that we've been talking about it. And I think it's an excuse, an excuse isn't the right word, but it's a, ah. it's a push like this. That all, all of a sudden it's like, well, actually this is something we need, you know, let's figure out how do we approve these types of tests quickly um, so that we can test it. And I think 25 miles an hour, uh, you know, fair weather, there's still a lot that can go wrong. Right. But I think even at that limited clip of speed and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you can see some really incredible things happening. Well, Emma, this, how, Oh, go ahead. Ian. I was just going to say, this isn't really anything new. You look at where they're doing this. This is Mountain View, California. Google has yeah, right. been doing those on their campuses. They've been doing drivers or autonomous vehicles for a very long time. Um, I'm actually surprised that it's taken this long to get them to this point. So, um, you know, they've already got this neuro's already got partnerships with Kroger, Walmart, Domino's. I mean, this is going to start rolling out, especially, you know, it's another example of the pivots that are happening and just the propulsion of this industry for so much faster forward because of what's going on, um, that this is, this kind of stuff is going to start to roll out and roll out fast. I, I think it's awesome. Yeah, Emma, I was going to ask Emma, if, if you had this in the New York, New Jersey area, you had an autonomous vehicle pulling up to give you your food, uh, would that be a pretty welcomed sight uh, in your estimation? Um, maybe like closer to the city. I don't think people up here would really enjoy that. The only thing really? I can think of if this thing came down my road is that people would just like there's so many kids, they would try and slow it down, ride it. People would get mad, drive around it, and then hit mailboxes. But I mean, like grocery pickup just doesn't exist up here. So a like driverless car coming down the road, I don't think would be welcomed as much. Have either. you guys have you guys seen the videos for this? I have you seen them? Any of you? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it I is. watched them for with my oldest son as part of his experiment because he wanted to create a snack robot. And I was like, you got to see this neural robot and look at all of these robots that are out there. And Emma, they have these devices like this, this H or the, the version two that they just released or gave the approval to. It's got these things on it. Like it's not going to run into mailboxes. It's got the full 360 detection of everything. It like goes over little things in the road, scooters or whatever. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's super- definitely cool. 
Yeah, so, but you're, it'll take a little while for everyone to get used to it up there. Up there. Sure. Yeah, I, I got you. I got you. I, I want it do... on our road now. Yeah, and we can split it liberals, have it drop off in between the houses. I love it'll it. be great. I love well, it, Carter. Ex- Let's do it. Exactly. And like, here's my thing. When is the better time to test this? No one is on the road. There's no one out like, there. My everyone, car sits every out government there. should be trying to do this. It's, it's actually going to be a question of, I mean, in reality, it should be a question of how quickly the companies can actually supply to get the demand to meet the demand out there for it. But it makes a ton of sense. The other part of this story that I think is important is I had the chance to talk to Ali Ahmed, who's the CEO and founder of Robomart last yeah. week. And he brought up a really good point. We did an awesome podcast on us where they basically do the same thing. But remember, it's an autonomous vehicle. If you didn't listen to that podcast, where they go around like the milkman and bring you your, your fruits and vegetables and your fresh meats every day. And you call it on an app, just like you're ordering an Uber, but it just roams around autonomously. But this concept is the same here because, and what he's doing that I think is really brilliant is he's saying, all right, we know we want to get to autonomous vehicles, but it's, there's a lot of things that still need to happen from a regulation perspective to do it. But now is the time to test it because no one's on the roads. So let's re-engineer the cars to that end. We can still have people come be put in them, but let's leave the driver in there safe and secure, almost like they're behind a plexiglass booth, like we've talked about last week. They're in the car. You can see them, but then the customer behavior can still be the same. The drop-offs can still be the same. And therefore, you're kind of by default de facto testing the model of driverless delivery or, or, or cars that are running around the neighborhoods in that vein on your demand through your app. All that can start to happen. We don't have to think about it as this kind of binary, isolated, this or that type of option. I think it's really cool stuff, and it's going to be fun, fun to watch it play out. All right, Carter, why don't you finish this up? This is, I think, by far and away, in my opinion, the most important story of the week, and that has to do with Best Buy. Yeah, some sad news coming out of Best Buy, but unfortunately, it's been par for the course a little bit. Best Buy is going to furlough 40% of its workforce. That's 51,000 employees. Um, Stores have been shifting to curbside pickup over the last few weeks, which is really kind of the interesting part of this whole story. So um, as I mentioned, according to the Star Trip here in Minneapolis, Best Buy is set to furlough 51,000 employees, again, 40% of its workforce, as their stores are still closed. Um, Obviously, going into this, and if you remember, coming up, you know, they saw a 4% leap in sales heading into these stay-at-home orders. And actually, sales surged up to 25% in mid-March as people were starting to get prepared for what was going to happen. What are we going to need to spend two months inside of our house? And I think you could see that demand coming. Well, you couldn't see any of this coming, but you can see why that demand was there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So ultimately, uh, Best Buy continues to see strong demand for its product. Um, And this is according to Corey Berry, but um, ultimately, who's their new CEO, ultimately, they quickly pivoted to curbside pickup. Um, So they say it's been a huge success helping the company retain 70% of its sales. Um, Online sales has skyrocketed, they say 250% at the same time, um, about half of which has come through this curbside pickup order system. So um, I think the thing here is, again, and we talk about that almost in every single one of these stories, is how are you pivoting quickly to adjust and serve your customer in an appropriate forward-thinking way with the technology you have at your fingertips? So you have everything from you know the Amazon, Walmart, Target systems that have been carefully crafted with millions and millions of dollars over the last three, four, five years, right? Or arguably longer, all the way down to the liquor store that bought a cell phone with a 612 number on it that's printed on a sign in the front that says, call us when you get here. Best Buy is, is not obviously on, on that end of the spectrum. But when I went through the tutorial on curbside pickup, you could tell that they 
ramp this thing up pretty darn quick. Um, and you know, it's not horrible. I was expecting to see something really, you know, and obviously I haven't used it. Um, but you know, you choose curbside pickup, you can go ahead and let them know when you get there, they'll either text you or call you, bring the product out, verify your purchase, put it in your trunk and you're out, out of uh, on your way. Um, so I think it's interesting that it's been able to retain 70% of their sales. I think that's crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think when you look at, if you're being able to retain 70% of your sales, but you're still laying off 40% of your workforce, there's this gap here of understanding like how many employees you really need in a store to serve kind of the need. Now, obviously the need is very different today than it was six months ago or than it would it will be in a year. Um, but it's just an interesting comparison when you start to look at what does it take to fulfill that amount of orders curbside. And it's clearly not as many employees as it does to take run to run one of those huge stores. And yeah, I mean, I, when we were talking about the stories for this week, this was one that I kind of pushed for because like you said, Chris, when we were talking about it, what does this portend for the best buy store of the future? Like what does that store footprint really need to look like now? I mean, I feel like it's every other day we're coming up with new ideas for what, be- what best buy should be doing or what their stores should be looking like. Um, yeah, I even was joking around with a couple of people from Best Buy about like they're bringing in beta. Like what would happen if Best Buy takes over and buys beta? What does that look like? And when they start to reimagine what this new footprint is, you know, does it need, you know, the gigantic box or is it converting half of that box into back of house fulfillment, getting much more specialized and and technical with the types of front of house store that they're bringing forward, you know, all of their geek squad services, the expertise that you are coming to a physical Best Buy store for, what mobile device to buy, what computer to buy, like somebody to kind of give you that information. That doesn't need the size and scale of a Best Buy store now. And so I think that while this is a sad thing, there's a lot of people, it's one of the biggest announcements we've seen uh, from a retailer in the news of the last couple of weeks. Um, I think this will end up really making Best Buy's business model stronger in the end. Yeah, I agree. I think it's I think it's a really smart move. I, I put it on social media that I respect this a lot. I think when you look at how quickly they went to curbside, I think it's really that's really smart. I told this to another retailer this morning. I said, if I could give you any advice, it's to say, let's do the thought exercise of what does it look like if we never reopen a store, and we had to reimagine retail with that in mind, and what would we do? What would all the touch points be? How would we talk to the consumers? And they're starting to do this. And because what I worry about here, there's all this talk about who's going to open and what, and you can look at traffic patterns between, you know, states that have, have had really aggressive stay at home orders versus those that have had more lenient in reality, for the most part, across all the states, people are shopping less. And so if we reopen, people are probably still going to shop, shop less. And Carter's talked about this, but you know, there's an inflection point then in terms of what does it take to operate those stores? You know, if you're open, but you're really not getting the traffic that's going to be really distracting. It's going to be really confusing versus if you take a more longer approach view to how do you really transform yourselves during this period of time where it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be financially difficult, but you may come out out of it better in the long run. I think you can see that smart approach being taken here where they're thinking a lot over a longer term horizon, say just month to month or week to week. So I, I give them, I give them a ton of credit. Like in, and they've been on the forefront of like, how do you reimagine service in a physical store? And now you're saying, oh my God, if that all goes away, what do we do? Carter, well, what whole do you other, think? The Geek Squad thing's a whole another conversation. Oh, of yeah. like you, I mean, with Apple stores closed and things like that, I mean, yeah. technology 
imagine if your computers go down, right? For us, yeah. like from a work standpoint, from everything, like you're going to have to buy a new one right now. And that's ultimately just the cost because there's no one who's servicing any technology. And the longer we sit in our homes and use these things 19 hours a day, you know, the more that's going to go wrong. So what does service look like from a curbside standpoint? What does service look like from an at-home uh, right. standpoint, which is not just the technician showing up anymore either. Like you got to remember that. So, um, you know, both from employee safety. Those questions. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's not a fun is not the right word for that exercise, but it's really interesting no. to think about. Yeah. Makes me wonder too. Yeah. Forces you to do it. It makes me wonder too, if, if Ron Johnson and enjoy just went up in value as a result of all this to the point that, you know, to the point that you're bringing up. So totally. All right. Well, that was awesome. That was awesome. Thanks to everyone who joined us live today. We really, really appreciate it. Again, like I said, our goal is to actually start doing this more often and to invite guests onto the show and allow you guys to tune in, of course, all for free. Uh, In fact, we're going to have a great first webinar next week with Chris Weaver, who is the head of brand at Cotton On. Uh, We'll be doing a webinar with him next Wednesday. Stay tuned for that on the exact time. I believe it's, uh, and what's the time for that webinar? Uh, it is from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time in the morning. 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time. And of course, it's free to all our loyal Talk subscribers. Just use the promo code Talk at registration. And we'll be sitting down with Chris because we're really interested to hear, you know, what is his take? What is his perspective in terms of being in, Uh, the specialty apparel business, the mall-based apparel business at this time of coronavirus. And he's also a pretty big hoot, and he's been a big friend of the show for a long time. You might have also noticed that we've refreshed the OmniTalk website. We've given our logo a new look. It's exciting. It's sleek. It's fun. Uh, And overall, the website has a much more flexible design that we think will help us to showcase our content in a much better way. So as always, if you have a chance, if you're listening at home, Please like and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen to our podcast. And if you happen to be at home right now, if you happen to be listening to us live on this show, please take a second, leave us a review right now, right this second. Every difference makes a difference and it just means a hell of a lot to us. So on behalf of Anne, on behalf of Carter, on behalf of Emma the intern, say it every week. We'll continue saying it until the cows come home. Be careful out there.